Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. Today, the Senate Rules Committee began the markup of S-1, or the Corrupt Politicians Act, as it should be called. This bill is an attempting to overtake the federal uh, election system and have a federal takeover that would make elections less fair and less secure. This bill is not about voting rights. It's about making election fraud easier to commit and harder to detect and forcing a single partisan view of elections on more than 10,000 jurisdictions across the country. This is taking control away from state and local officials where the Constitution vests authority and giving it to bureaucrats in Washington. We don't want this. Make no mistake, securing our elections and not giving up state legislative power to Washington is the number one issue facing America today. Go to AmericanGreatnessFund.com to join the mailing list and be updated on what's happening around the country with our allies or register to be an ally to support election integrity. So why is S-1 so dangerous? This would permanently tip the scales in favor of Democrats by politicizing the Federal Election Commission. Watch what Senator Ted Cruz had to say earlier today. And I would point out that that To take Senator Sanders, for example, I think it would be difficult for anyone to argue with a straight straight face that a federal election commission that consisted of two explicit Democrats and Senator Sanders would not be a partisan weapon. And look, all of us know how to do this. We have an example, not only the federal election commission itself, but we have an example in the Senate. We have an ethics committee. The Ethics Committee is is the one committee in this body that is designed not to be a partisan committee. And under our rules, it takes a bipartisan majority, just like the Federal Elections Commission. The Senate Ethics Committee has three Republicans, three Democrats. That means when the Republicans are in power, and most of us were here when the Republicans were in power for a long time, I suspect Democrats wouldn't have been happy if it was a 3-2 Republican majority that could be used to launch an investigation of a Democratic senator, say, a month before the election in a purple state like Georgia, I suspect that would make you understandably quite unhappy if the Republican Party had the power to launch a public investigation designed to influence an election. And that's why we require a bipartisan majority on the ethics commission. It's also why the stat, the law has required for 50 years a bipartisan majority on the federal election commission, and this bill guts that. So joining me now to discuss is our panel, Ken Blackwell and Robert Charles. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining Just the Truth tonight. 
Good to be with you. Great. All right. So, Ken, I'll start with you. Um, let's just cut through all of the Democrats' talking points about voter suppression and, you know, all of these ridiculous labels they put on. What is so dangerous about S-1 and why is Ted Cruz correct? S-1 would centralize power of our government uh, in Washington, D.C. It is part of a recipe for the radical transformation of our constitutional republic that's been in place for 245 years. The other legs or points of attack uh, of that recipe would be the uh, D.C. statehood, where they would add two more Democrat senators. Uh, you then have mass amnesty, where they would get about 11 million more voters and then court packing. And so if you begin to see that this is part of a grand design to fundamentally change our constitutional republic and move us towards a status stream as opposed to the very fruitful uh, and free constitutional republic that has served us well, you now understand that this is game on and this is a battle of paramount importance. Absolutely. This is, uh, like I said, the number one issue I think facing Americans. And Bobby, you know, this is something that I think Americans across the country are so concerned about, especially in the aftermath of the 2020 election. And so uh, why should we still continue to fight this, even though obviously we're not going to change the results of 2020, but moving forward, we have to focus on election integrity? Well, quite honestly, Jenna, this is the future of the republic. I mean, as you know, uh, I work with AMAC. It's got 2.3 million uh, members. Uh, more than 200,000 have sent emails just today and yesterday, I think, to the Judiciary Committee saying you cannot take away the rights of average Americans. Uh, you know, this uh, the old adage is that the devil is in the details. And let me just tell you, the details here are the devil, okay? Uh, in a straightforward way, this would end political free speech because uh, you'd have to reveal everything contributed to any organization organization and in an age of doxing that would include your addresses so people would show up on your front lawns this would ban at the federal level uh, for all elections around the country ban voter ID this would permit valid ballot harvesting open-ended uh, uh, mail-in ballots with no reasons this would allow felons to vote this would allow 16 uh, year olds to vote this would push DC statehood this would push the DMV registration this would allow what else it would allow out-of-precinct voting it would allow a six to one match of federal dollars to your private dollar if someone's running and last it would uh, it would take to the federal level all of which of all of this is unconstitutional it would take to the federal level the idea of redistricting around the country uh, and by the way Ted Cruz's point it would create a one-party FEC that's the Federal Election Commission so who do you think would be investigated if the Democrats permanently controlled the FEC but uh, Ken is absolutely right this is the future of the country right here and uh, if people don't rise up on their back legs and say look this is it we are we cannot have a one party state then we're going to lose all our prerogatives yeah, absolutely. And for people who want to actually cut through the talking points and see just in a very quick summary uh, what the major dangers of S-1 uh, are, Roy Blunt of Missouri, uh, the ranking member, actually put out this list, and you can see this. And this is actually public. This isn't just an internal document. And on the second page, um, it talks about the 10 worst policies in S-1. Get this, share this, make sure that you are educated on S-1, and we'll be right back to talk more on Just the Truth. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Just the Truth, where we're talking about the ongoing uh, Senate Rules Committee markup of S1 with my panel, Ken Blackwell, who is of the Public Legal Interest Foundation, and also Robert Charles of AMAC. So, gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the conversation. And uh, one of the things, Bobby, that I want to get into, you mentioned in the opening um, about how this is so unconstitutional. And I want to talk about for a minute, even if everybody likes what this bill projects, it's taking away the ability of the state legislatures to control their own elections and to make sure that they are issuing the laws in their states. And so just fundamentally, I see that on face a violation of the Constitution. Yeah, so what you're really pointing out, Jenna, and I think uh, Ken knows as well, that you know what we're really looking at here is an attempt by the federal government, uh, the Democrats in charge of this portion of the federal government, to literally unconstitutionally suck all these states' rights up to the federal level. And uh, and it is a it's a bold attempt. Uh, at the end of the day, even you know the Wall Street Journal and the ACLU, two opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, have both declared it utterly unconstitutional. But you know, in a funny way, Jenna, this is this is the Democrats' bold attempt to pull a sock around a basketball. What are they trying to do? They're trying to push through about 15 unconstitutional provisions all in one bill, and then pack the Supreme Court with four justices who will rule that the unconstitutional bill is constitutional and then permanently control the electoral process. That is why this is so dangerous and why every American and every member of AMAC is up in arms trying to, anyone who cares about the electoral process, trying to beat this back. Yeah, and so, Ken, um, I, I think that's a really important point to say that a lot of Americans feel like um, you, th that we're just helpless here because we're relying on our Congress members uh, to not get to the 10 GOP senators that it's going to take to pass this bill. Uh, but what can we functionally do and actively do uh, to let the Senate know and Congress know that this is just totally unacceptable? Well, you know, the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass once said, those who are whooped easiest are whooped most often. And so what we can do at the grassroots level is to engage. Not only can we engage by calling and writing our, our representatives, uh, we in fact can engage by, in, by becoming precinct executives uh, at, the, at the local level. Uh, we can affect change. Look, Aristotle summed it up. He said there's a dynamic tension between the organized and muscularity of the state and individual liberty. The more intrusive, the, the, the more powerful the state, the less individual liberty. That's what the founders understood. They used the principle of subsidiarity. They put control at the most basic level, and that is at the local level. And so this paragraph that we're talking about is an effort to centralize power, put it in the hands and direction of one party uh, and move us from a constitutional republic to an autocratic, totalitarian, some status form of government that, in fact, will wind up on the ash bin of history like all others of that nature. 
Yeah, and I find it so ironic that it's called the For the People Act. Well, last time I checked, all the way back since 1787, when that beautiful preamble was written that says, we the people of the United States, the entire role and purpose of our U.S. Constitution was to preserve and protect our right of self-government, not to give over any of our rights to government in exchange for protection, in exchange for all of these uh, ridiculous, petty, tyrannical orders, like from the CDC, uh, like from all of the governors around the country, even on the state level. Our, the sole purpose of government from the federal all the way down is to preserve and protect our rights to decide for ourselves and our families how we best pursue happiness, how we engage in a free marketplace of ideas, a free marketplace of our economy, and to move forward as Americans, understanding that we are citizen-led. We select and prefer our leaders because they're from among us, and there is no one that has any right to power in the United States. But Bobby, it seems like Democrats just are completely uh, abusing that principle of self-government, and they think they have a right and a heritage and uh, this this opportunity that they are entitled to power. Yeah, so they just obviously, as Ken pointed out, and as you just pointed out, they don't understand the, uh, the uh, elements that are the predicate for the Constitution or for the Bill of Rights. Uh, the bottom line is that the founders wanted to limit government. Uh, they understood rights as God-given, and uh, they distilled natural law in the Bill of Rights, and they gave us a, a, a three-branch uh, three government that they thought would keep government limited, not expand it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the, it's, the antithesis of that is the growth of federal government. Uh, as Ronald Reagan reminded us more than once, uh, all it takes, uh, you know, well, actually, I think that was Edmund Burke, all it takes mm -hmm. for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. But he reminded us, Reagan, that that you don't pass freedom down through the DNA. You got to teach it. You got to defend it. Limited government must be defended. And as Ken said, it's a zero sum game. At the end of the day, if you lose individual liberties to the central government, uh, or to put it differently, if you empower the federal government with liberties that once belonged to you and the states under the 10th Amendment, uh, you will not get them back. Those are taken from you. So uh, again, people need to step up right now. And as Ken said, and as you said, and as AMAC constantly pushes forward, you need to email your members. You need to make them responsible. You need to make them responsible to history uh, and to the text of the Constitution and frankly to the freedoms that you enjoy every day or you won't have them. That was so beautifully said, and I love that we're having the conversation about this particular topic that's the news of the day item, and a lot on um, a lot of news shows, it's just a focus and an emphasis on this particular bill in this moment in history. But Ken, I think what Bobby just said is so incredibly important that for us to be able to engage in the reasoning, the rationale, the constitutional analysis of why this is so dangerous, we have to always go back to our founding roots. We have to go back through world history well before our founders even ordained and established our constitution as our uh, as our government system we have to understand from where we came from, and that's why uh, your organization, as well as AMAX, so many others are so important for people, as Bobby just said, to take responsibility for our self-government. Absolutely. Look, that second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. My dad used to say, that's a highfalutin way of saying any knucklehead <laughs> should be able to get this. Well, you know, I love it. it, it that, that paragraph says that our our rights are not grants from government, they're gifts from God. And when you have the left trying to push God and faith out of the public square and destroy the family, which is the incubator of liberty, 
you start to get a real sense of what their game plan is, and that is to fundamentally transform, destroy our constitutional republic, and we must fight back. Absolutely. And I love that you're bringing into this conversation as well uh, this whole idea of court packing, because a lot of people, I think, don't see how the left is always uh, having a multifaceted, coordinated effort. These aren't just uh, pieces of policy or bills that are uh, isolated and in a vacuum. And so to say this is what they're trying to do to get this rubber stamp, uh, Bobby, this is so dangerous to have the judicial branch be political rather than being unbiased and independent. And the left is harnessing this term court packing, and they're not being honest with it. They're trying to say that just because President Trump actually appointed uh, judges through the Constitution, through that process, then somehow that justifies them actually expanding the court. Do you see that actually potentially happening uh, through the Biden administration over the next you know, three and a half years? Well, let me just say there are a lot of things that I never saw or thought would happen. Um, you know, I worked in the Reagan White House, Bush 41, and I clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals Ninth Circuit with a Reagan appointee. Uh, and I, I never imagined that we would be having this kind of discussion right now about essentially delimiting government. Uh, so is it possible that they could pack the courts? Yes, it is. I mean, FDR learned the, the hard way that if you try to force something down the throats of the American people, sometimes that uh, sleeping giant that you've awakened is actually the American people at heart. And I think most Americans uh, do not want to see their Supreme Court gamed or politicized or turned into some sort of a, uh, a chessboard where uh, one side outflanks the other. Today we have four more justices, and then we'll add another five the next time. That's not what this is about. The law is independent of politics. Uh, the reading, the fair reading of the Constitution is the application of the reading of the law, applying the law to the facts. And we are not in a position right now, we should never be in a position where we politicize that third branch. So what you find is the Democrats talk about a uh, an independent judiciary, but they're not respecting that. When they even raise the discussion, when they even raise the idea of politicizing the Supreme Court by packing it. We have to have a certain degree of reverence for the majesty of law, or we have lost who we are. Mm, reverence for the law, I love that. And that reminds me of uh, you know King David in Psalm 119, which is my favorite uh, passage in scripture because it's all about his love of the law. And it's the longest Psalm as well. And you know, as a lawyer, we're not very brief, even though the court uh, <laughs> likes to tell us to. But, uh, but in the last minute and a half we have here, uh, Ken, I wanted you to address specifically voter ID as well. And this whole notion, um, you know, speaking of reverence for the law, how only people who can legally participate uh, should be able to vote as citizens. That's not racist. That's not, I mean, even look, the Queen of England and the British Parliament is now saying, you know, hey, we're instituting voter ID. And isn't that a sad day when England uh, is far ahead of America in terms of election security? Oh, absolutely. If I wanted to pick up baseball tickets from the wheel call window, what would I have to show? A, a, a Some form of voter ID or or photo ID. If I wanted to go into the headquarters of Coca-Cola or, or Delta, what would I have to show? A photo ID. Uh, if I wanted to take out a library book, I, I have to show an ID. At the end of the day, it is an insult to say that requiring a common sense document like a photo ID, which people can get for free, is, is racist. I, I'll tell you, my, my family came up during Jim Crow when in fact voters were asked how many jelly beans are in this jar before they could, they could vote. We are concerned about making sure that nobody's legally cast ballot is negated by an illegal ballot. That is common sense. 
that is making it easy to vote, harder to cheat. Absolutely. And that just seems like it's common sense. And I am so grateful for both of you and your stand for election integrity. And make sure uh, that you support the Election Integrity Alliance and also the Public Legal Interest Foundation and AMAC. So we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Carol Swain to talk more about election integrity, S1, and also what's going on today in Tennessee. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Just the Truth. We're continuing the conversation about S-1, which is this uh, ridiculous bill that the Democrats are trying to push through the Senate, through Congress, to federalize elections, take away the power that is constitutionally given to the state legislatures. And several people noted that both Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell actually participated quite heavily uh, today in the Rules Committee. And that means that this is really important to both sides. We know why, because we know that free and fair elections, secure elections, are so important to continuing the process of the Constitution and making sure that we, the people, get to select and prefer our leaders. This is what Mitch McConnell had to say today. Let's take a look at the bill. This legislation will let Washington Democrats dictate the terms of their own re-election races by rewriting all 50 states' election law. Popular safeguards like voter ID would be neutered. Ludicrous practices like ballot harvesting would be mandatory coast to coast. Democrats have a narrow majority in the House and a 50-50 Senate, but they want to make themselves the Board of Elections for every county and state in America. But voting regulations are just the start. This legislation would deliberately turn the Federal Elections Commission into a partisan Democratic panel. They want their own side enforcing election law on their own, unilaterally. It would authorize federal bureaucrats to poke around in a much broader slice of private citizens' free speech. It would attack Americans' privacy rights to such an extreme degree that even the liberal ACLU is sounding alarm bells about this bill. It would have the federal government take public money and send it directly to political campaigns so Americans can subsidize robocalls, junk mail, and TV ads for candidates they disagree with. So the marketing has changed constantly this has gone from an election security bill to an ethics bill to a racial justice bill. Who knows what it'll be labeled tomorrow. But what doesn't change is the substance because the intention doesn't change. The Democratic Party on its own wants to rewrite the ground rules of American politics for their benefit. We all know that's what this is about. It's hard to imagine anything that would erode public confidence in our democracy more drastically. This bill has purely partisan support in the House. It had bipartisan opposition. It's one thing to make fiscal policy that way, to use reconciliation to tax and to spend. It's very different to try to hotwire our democracy itself without a single vote from the other side. Joining me now to react is Dr. Carol Swain, who is the founder of BeThePeople.com. Dr. Swain, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, it's my pleasure. And I certainly agree with uh, Senator McConnell, because what the Democrats are trying to do is to use 
uh, racial and ethnic minorities to push through a system that would be one party. And if you look at the policies that they support, it doesn't make minorities better off. And the Voting Rights Act, which was passed in 1965 to ensure Black Americans and other minorities the right to cast the ballot uh, and to remove restrictions, I mean, they've turned it on its head because what they are pushing would neutralize and dilute the votes of all legal Americans. And it is about helping those who are undocumented to vote, as well as those who are felons and people they believe who will be sympathetic to them. Right. And I, I can just imagine if they thought that felons and illegal aliens who came into this country in any of these voting blocks would vote heavily Republican, they would be the first to say, no, 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 this is ridiculous. And yet that's what they're accusing Republicans of doing when really the Republicans are wanting to make sure that free and fair elections are secure. As you said, that every legal vote is not diluted. This is not about selecting one party over another. It's about giving every American the equal opportunity to cast their vote and have it matter and count. And so as the American people, um, and I asked this to, to my last panel, um, Dr. Swain, because I think a lot of people feel really frustrated. They feel like, you know, we're, we can't do anything uh, now that the 2020 election is over. Uh, what do you see as the best way to combat this type of effort, um, e even more than just how Senate Republicans thankfully are standing up? Well, they, they are too much too late. I think they, had, they need a campaign to educate American voters about what they will lose if this legislation passes. And as far as the ballot harvesting, there's a lot of intimidation involved for racial and ethnic minorities when three or four people show up at your door demanding your ballot. And in some cases, they have ballots. And People, you know, in a situation like that, and you had thuggish people standing on your doorstep, uh, they would either hand them a ballot, uh, they're certainly not going to hand them a ballot that's voting for the candidate that they are not supporting. Uh, so usually it's the Democrats, they go into the inner city, they go in numbers, they're demanding ballots, and I think voters are intimidated. And they pressure people who have no intention of voting, they really pressure those people to vote vote the way the Democrats want them to. Yeah, and I think people aren't uh, realizing how dangerous and how uh, manipulating this idea of ballot harvesting really is because it started out as this idea that if you had a family member or if you were a caregiver that they actually needed assistance and help uh, with turning in their ballot then you were able to and there was a cap and there's a limit uh, in some states on how many ballots each individual person could turn in for someone who is not themselves but this idea of ballot harvesting as you just said is this way that Democrats are now manipulating what was a good idea to then go and uh, and try to just harvest and and claim a lot more ballots and votes uh, through intimidation. And so when you have these types of, of laws and these types of situations, it seems like it would be so straightforward that we should all be able to agree that election integrity matters, every legal vote should count, 
and that people shouldn't be able to illegally harvest or have any of these lack of security measures. Uh, I mean, it, it's so ridiculous that Democrats are even supporting um, any contrary idea. I mean, the whole idea that they would be opposed to voter ID, that was never about black people. It was always about them trying to vote people who were undocumented. And when it comes to ballot harvesting, they will hire non-third-party vendors, you know, organizations to go and collect those ballots. And so any kind of group could organize and collect ballots. And that's where you get the intimidation, people standing on your doorstep uh, demanding that you uh, give them your ballot. And that happens in the inner city. And I believe that in the 2020 elections, we know that there were so many things that went wrong. This HR1, um, uh, SR1, what it would do is would, excuse me, it would legalize some of the things that were questionable in the last election. They're trying to legalize these things and if that happens, I believe we will have a one-party nation. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad to see that some states uh, and, and a lot of different organizations are pushing the states to get really good legislation. And so uh, Doug Ducey, who's the governor of Arizona, just announced that he signed the bill today. It's uh, Senate Bill 1485 out of Arizona that um, is going to eventually have a system to purge uh, the the uh, voting rolls and to make sure that people who are inactive or ineligible uh, don't vote. So that's a good step. And the yes. states need to reclaim their ability to move forward with their own election law and just reject this. If it gets passed, uh, Carol, what do you think is the, the, the possibility of the judicial branch actually standing firm and saying, no, this is against the Constitution? I don't have a lot of confidence in the judicial branch. And what I think people need to do is to finance a campaign, just like as if you were running for office, to educate American voters of both political parties, because Democrats, uh, the average Democrat, if they knew what was in that legislation, they would not be in favor of it. And I think that most uh, voters don't know uh, the Republicans should be educating them because Republicans themselves in Congress, they have failed us repeatedly. We cannot put our confidence in them. They are always uh, a day late and a dollar short. Yeah, it starts with education always, and that's why civics is so important, and we can't just take the top-line messaging from mainstream media. We have to educate ourselves. And Dr. Swain, in the last few minutes I have with you here, um, you're in Tennessee. Uh, that's your home state, and your governor, Bill Lee, um, just announced today that Tennessee is not going to be taking uh, unemployment funding uh, in, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is clearly over. We are past that. And so he's saying that Tennessee has enough jobs available. Uh, they're not going to take uh, any more funding from the federal government. Do you think he made the right decision? He absolutely made the right decision because there are many people that are staying at home. They're not working. They could be working. But I would like Governor Lee to go one step further. He needs to end all the stimulus money related to COVID that's going into various cities, especially those blue cities that's funding things. And these are cities that mismanage their budgets and all of a sudden they're flush with cash. And so I think the unemployment, uh, extra benefits, that should be eliminated, but also all the stimulus money, we should send it back. 
Yeah, and um, and I think that that he's been a great leader in this. I agree with you that uh, this needs to go even further. And I love that Ron DeSantis uh, just ended the the COVID restrictions in Florida. Every single governor needs to do that now, and we the people need to stand up firm and say we are not going to buy into these ridiculous lies anymore. I mean, uh, when you have the CDC that's so arbitrary, Dr. Swain, and they're just saying, okay, well now this is what we think, and yesterday was the complete opposite. Clear Clearly, it's, it's arbitrary and ridiculous. Absolutely. And I travel a lot. And when I go to the blue states and fly into those airports and all the shops are closed, I mean, I feel so sorry for the people that are oppressed and, you know, being forced to wear the mask. Uh, in the red states, there's a lot of liberty. And I'm glad I live in a red state, but I'm concerned about all the people from the blue states that are moving to Tennessee and moving to other areas of the country because I'm afraid they will bring their values with them and we will end up in the same situation eventually. Yeah, they're leaving California for a reason. So don't turn Texas or Tennessee or Florida into another California. So you heard it right here. Dr. Swain, thanks so much for joining me. We'll be right back with more here on Just the Truth. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And this past weekend was Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, my grandma, and every mother out there and all the women who want to be mothers. And what's really important to highlight about womanhood and about being mothers is that there are so many mothers who live still with the grief of having had an abortion. And there is no one who knows that better than Abby Johnson, who is the founder of And Then There Were None, a former Planned Parenthood clinic director and someone who uh, really reminds everyone, follow her on her social media because she gave such a beautiful testimony of her own guilt and shame living uh, with the guilt of participating in so many abortions and how the church has a responsibility to make sure that we are drawing women closer to the Lord, closer to, uh, to Jesus Christ himself, and to making sure that we can reconcile uh, women with their Savior, that they can find forgiveness and not continue to live in guilt. And her organization, And Then There Were None, says that they start with the frontline workers at abortion clinics to make sure to reach them and to ultimately, hopefully, eradicate abortions from even being a conscionable option. So watch this. We always say that nobody grows up wanting to work in the abortion industry. Nobody. Our vision statement for And Then There Were None is no abortion clinic workers, no abortion clinics, no abortions. It starts with the workers. We see ourselves as being part of a pro-love movement. 
that we want to love these workers out of the clinics. We want to love them onto a path of healing. And we want to love them back into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I hear people, pro-lifers say, it's just a job, why, why can't they just leave? Because it's not just a job. The abortion industry is not like working for a fast food restaurant. There is a very strong spiritual hold. It gets a hold of someone. It gets a hold of their mind. It gets a hold of their heart. Leaving the abortion industry is really difficult. The happiest moments of my life are moments when I'm on the phone with an abortion clinic worker as they're walking out of their job for the last time. And joining me now is Abby Johnson, who's the founder of And Then There Were None. And Abby, I was I was moved to tears <laughs> watching this clip because this is such an amazing ministry that you're engaged in. And you did a photo shoot recently um, that was just just beautifully expressed so much of the grief and um, and anguish that go through women who have participated in abortions. Talk about that project and why uh, you were inspired to do that. Sure. So there's a, a woman named Angela Forker, and she has she's been a, a, a newborn photographer uh, for many years, and she has a, a business called Precious Baby Photography. And uh, a couple of years ago, it was it was actually right around the time that Unplanned came out. She started asking the Lord, you know, how can I really do something for the pro life movement? She just really felt a calling on her life to do that. And the Lord responded and he said, I want you to work with women who have had abortions, post-abortive women. And so she put a call out and women responded. And so now she takes pictures of women who have had abortions and she, you know, gives you sort of a, a lengthy questionnaire to fill out. And she, she captures your heart, you know, she, she talks about the grief and the pain and, and where your head was when you were, you know, making that, that detrimental decision to have an abortion. Um, and so a couple, I don't know, probably about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, we started talking and, um, she had never worked with someone who had worked in the abortion industry. And I'm also post-abortive times two. And she said, I just really think it would be very powerful to have someone like you uh, be a participant in this in this series that she's doing. And it's called After the Abortion Photography Series. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I would, I would love to do it. And so we've just sort of been going back and forth and then COVID hit and I wasn't traveling that much. And she lives outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I happened to have a speaking event in Fort Wayne, Indiana a couple weeks ago. And so I went up there and just the work that she does, she does it out of her kitchen and uh, out of her dining room. And the work that she does is phenomenal, but she truly has a gift. I mean, she is really anointed by God to do this work. I mean, the way that she can take um, just, you know, your quotes. I mean, I, I had filled out the questionnaire and she just had this beautiful vision that took shape just from my answers to the questionnaire. And I hope that it's been healing for those who have who have made an abortion decision. I hope that it helps people sort of understand 
the the mindset of someone who has had an abortion, who has worked in the abortion industry. Um, I think that that art is very it's a very powerful way to to convey our feelings about different situations and different circumstances that we've been in. And so her her work is very powerful. These are very powerful, and I saw them online and uh, read all of the captions. And what moved me about this is that so often, Abby, in the pro-life movement, we talk about the statistics, we talk about uh, the lives of the children, we talk about things almost from, uh, for lack of a better term, a clinical level, and we miss the heart. And so for for women um, like yourself who have been post-abortive or who have been a part of this industry, um, talk about the the guilt that may prevent them from coming to the Lord and receiving that mercy and reconciliation just because uh, they feel judged by other Christians. Well, you know, Christians are the worst, in my opinion, at wounding their own and 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 wounding those who are already hurt. Um, we are quite honestly um, the worst at hurting those who are already broken. And, and so, you know, this is what I've found sort of in my own journey and, and, you know, you can click through some of the photos on my Facebook page and, and particularly the one where I'm sort of in flames, where I talk about how, um, I, you know, thought to myself at one point in time, you know, that I, I might go to hell for the work that I was doing. And you can see the comments from Christians, uh, absolutely condemning me to hell because of my past. And, you know, now I'm absolutely a Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm a believer in Christ. My salvation is secure in Christ. But you've got Christians who are on my page condemning me to hell. And, uh, you know, this is what we do to our own. And this is what keeps women away from the cross. This is what keeps people away from the church. I mean, believe it or not, guys, the church is a hospital for sinners. The only reason that we need Jesus Christ at all, the only reason that we need salvation at all is because every single one of us are sinners. I mean, everything that we bring to the foot of the cross is just filthy to Christ. Everything is filthy to God, and yet he makes us all clean and and so it, it's amazing, though, when you go and you look at the comments and, and people say, I don't understand why, you know, women who are in crisis pregnancies don't turn to the church. I don't understand why, you know, they don't. Well, you can see why when you look at the comments. Yeah, absolutely. And I so appreciate your outspokenness, Abby, on this topic and being a front runner for the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be right back with more. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
Continuing the conversation with my good friend Abby Johnson, who's the founder of And Then There Were None and has a wonderful, wonderful testimony about how God saved her from the abortion clinic uh, working industry and also uh, from her own grief and guilt from being post-abortive. And Abby, um, I have to say, I so respect and admire your courage in being willing to face the arrows from other Christians, to have your testimony so public, to be able to say, this is what God saved me from. And I think every Christian should be willing to say, this is why I am saved. And it just seems like because the church is so judgmental, um, which we should boldly speak truth and we should have discernment, but we can't lose that aspect of loving people and saying, but you don't have to stay this way. You are a new creation when you're in Christ. Um, you are so strong and you're able to face that. Uh, what is your message to encourage other Christians to walk that line between standing firm for the truth and not just giving into all that, but also not being these um, just very harsh, judgmental uh, attitudes in the church? Well, I mean, God hates all of our sin, right? So it's not like, you know, any, any of our sin is just like God looks at it and is like, no big deal. I mean, all of our sin separates us from Christ. Okay. So, I mean, we need to recognize that in all of us. And so people will look at me and, and, and they'll say, man, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you worked in an abortion clinic. And my answer to them is always, well, I don't know how you sin the way that you do. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you gossip about your friends. That's something I would never do. I'm, I'm, I'm far too loyal to my friends to ever talk bad about them or gossip about my friends. But that may be something that you do. I, I would never lust after another man because I love my husband too much. But that may be a sin that you commit. I don't know the way that you sin the way you do, yet you do it every day. We, we all sin every day. That's why we're in need of a savior. And so I think it's very easy for us to point fingers at other people who sin differently than we do and say, man, we just don't know how they do what they do. But we need to recognize that God, he wastes nothing of our past when we are his children. And so we, we look to, to situations in our, in the Bible. We look to people in the Bible. I mean, you know, so much of the Bible is written by Paul, right? And 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 Paul, one of the greatest sinners, right? He he persecuted Christians. He 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 persecuted people. He killed people. Uh, we see that all throughout the Bible, and God used him mightily. Um, we see that in in King David. We see that all throughout the Bible. Moses. We see people who were just filthy sinners in the Bible that God used mightily. He wastes nothing. He will waste none of our testimony. And so we need to remember that as we're talking to people who maybe have a past that's different than ours. We don't have to understand it to praise God for what he's done in their life. Mm, and I think that's a wonderful encouragement as well to people who may be thinking, well, I have a past or I have had, I've been the victim of other people's sin or I've clearly made choices on, of my own. Uh, you're right that people who sin differently than we do, they tend to minimize 
sacrifice, uh, their own sin, and they tend to say, well, everyone else's sin is is worse because, uh, you know, mine is, is the one that either is okay or they take too much guilt and they actually put themselves higher than God and say, I'm the one person on the face of the earth that God can't possibly forgive. Um, uh, do you really think that there is anything that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God? No, and Paul talks about that in scripture as well that says nothing can separate us from the love of God, but we have to accept him as our Lord and Savior and make sure we are reconciled through repentance and through accepting his free gift. And Abby, you know, when you look at people like these extreme feminists, um, like Chelsea Clinton, who went and spoke at the Vatican uh, earlier this, this week or last week, and when she's so pro-abortion to almost a callous degree and then is speaking at the Vatican, um, where, where is the church in all of this? <laughs> Feminism, the other F word, right? <laughs> um, our society has been wrecked by, by feminism. It has emasculated our men. It has brought in uh, the LGBT agenda. It has brought in, you know, abortion on demand. Uh, we could have a whole show on that probably, um, just the dangers of feminism. But, you know, Chelsea Clinton, uh, people in the church, uh, people in the Vatican, uh, you know, cowardly leaders in our in our church, and that not just the Catholic Church, but I, I use the Universal Church. Um, people, those are people that we need to be praying for, for sure. There's a lot of sickness in Christian culture today, a lot of cowardice that comes from sickness. And you know, I just said at a rally this past weekend where I spoke, I said, you know, I think, I think a lot of what's happening in our society today, we look out and we say, you know, oh my gosh, you know, look at these people. It's easy for us to point at them and get angry and, and to say, you know, look how disgusting these people are. Or, you know, that's, that's sort of our, our fleshly tendency, right? But what we will, what we really need to look out into the world. And when we look at these people, we need to understand that there are so many people out in the world that are sick with sin. And I understand that because when I worked at Planned Parenthood, I was a person who was sick with sin. And when someone comes to you, if your friend comes to you and they say they have cancer, they're sick, what do we do? Do we condemn them to hell? No, we pray for them, right? We pray for healing. And so when we look out into our world today and we look at people like Chelsea Clinton, we look at, you know, whoever in in our world that is that is, you know, straying from straying from the Lord straying from the word of God, we need to look at them and we need to say they are sick. We need to recognize that and we need to be fervently praying for them. Amen to that. And we need to fervently pray and we need to make sure that we are fulfilling the Great Commission, which is to reach the lost of the world and give them the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Abby, thank you so much for your testimony. Go to abortionworker.com if you are a worker in a Planned Parenthood or if you are a post-abortive woman Abby can help you. You can get right with the Lord right now. So now to just the word. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.